The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. The truth is that we are in a climate emergency. We have less than 10 years to make substantial changes to our society and way of life and our economy. I want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. Those who have never fought for the colours they fly should be careful about criticising those who have. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, let's have a look at some of the big stories today. Energy companies are looking for a massive government bailout as a surge in gas and electricity prices threatens to push more suppliers out of business. The business secretary, Kwasi Kwarteng, is holding a third day of crisis talks with the industry today. The Foreign Office Minister, James Cleverly, also discussed the concerns around gas supply for the autumn. We're in a pretty good place here in the UK because, of course, we have our own domestic gas supply. Uh, but we also receive gas from really very reliable partners like Norway, for example. So we're in a better place than many other countries around the world. So trying to put the government's case there, the Foreign Office Minister James Cleverly, but at least seven energy suppliers have failed this year already. And there are concerns that more will fall as prices rise. Meanwhile, Boris Johnson and all of this, well, he's in New York for the United Nations General Assembly, where he will urge the world's richest countries to help fund action on climate change in developing nations. He says that the chances of being able to raise a $100 billion fund, though, are just six in ten. He stressed the importance, though, of supporting other countries in fighting the climate crisis. We need other countries to step up to the plate, uh, the big emitters around the world. The UK had an industrial revolution 200 years ago. Uh, We've been emitting for for centuries. Newly industrialised countries say, well, why should we pay such a big price? Uh, You know, we need help. So what is at stake here for these big issues of climate change and energy when it comes uh, to the UK Prime Minister? Joining me now is our Bloomberg Energy reporter, Rachel Morrison, who's been covering this story. So more sort of frenzied discussions now. What are the companies actually asking for from government? That's right. The meeting with Kwasi Kwarteng has started, we believe, and they are now going to be thrashing out the options for how the government can step in to help consumers. So the focus really is not on bailing out the failing suppliers, but on making sure that consumers still have an energy supplier if their supplier goes out of business. So among the options, we think, um, is the idea of a fund that the government could create to shoulder some of the cost of taking on new customers. Um, And this would help ease the burden on the bigger suppliers if they're called on to take on extra customers. And why are so many of the suppliers in such trouble? We've seen a huge rally in the wholesale price of gas and also electricity. And this is creating pressure on the suppliers. So for smaller suppliers that don't have enough capital to hedge, to put up collateral, they 
just go into the market and buy power and gas as they need it to supply their customers. As those prices have come up, they can't afford to do this, and so they're in trouble. At that point, Ofgem asks another supplier to step in to take their customers, and we're seeing the same pressures on the bigger suppliers, and so they're not willing to take on these customers at a loss. What do you think is going to happen next? I mean, we've already heard about various European countries having to put aside a lot of money, um, you know, to try to insulate consumers. This is a political hot potato and it is pretty much every winter, even before gas prices are this high. Yeah, that's right. It's not going to be popular to slap huge bills onto consumers at this point when we're sort of emerging from the pandemic. And the government really needs to find a way to either slow down those bill increases or, if possible, avert them. But they can't stop the international um, gas price rally. So they're really looking at ways that they can mitigate or take some of that pressure off households. Because as we go into winter, you know, we're going to see huge increases in bills and energy companies are saying that the price cap needs to come off bills Mm. because they're not going to be able to make enough money to supply the customers. Well, I mean, there is a point there. I mean, what is the point of a price cap that's meant to protect consumers if the government ends up having to funnel money into the companies anyway? Uh, Do they have a point that the energy suppliers? I suppose the price cap was designed to work in normal market conditions. It's reviewed every six months and is supposed to reflect what's happened in in wholesale markets. We've just seen those markets moving at an incredible pace. And the price cap is now looking a bit like it doesn't fit anymore. But you're right, it's not a good idea to remove um, policy that you've put in place and then put it back and, and mix everyone up. But it's not working for companies at the minute. And they're starting to raise that as something they'd like the government to have another look at. Yeah, okay. Uh, the Prime Minister with this quote, um, I wonder whether this uh, people will get this. The guy ropes are pinging off Gulliver and the global economy is standing up. It's going to take a while for the circulation to adjust. That's his explanation for why energy prices are, are going up. So sort of blaming it on the global situation. Rachel, thank you so much for being with us. That is our Bloomberg Energy reporter, Rachel Morrison there. Well, of course, Boris Johnson heading over to New York for the UN General Assembly. Uh, This is the first uh, meeting, first visit to the United States by the Prime Minister since the beginning of COVID. So joining me now is our government and Brexit reporter, Joe Mays, for the latest. Um, Boris Johnson's expected to use his speech at the UN to talk about climate change. Obviously, COP26 coming up in Glasgow, hosted by the UK. But he's not holding out much hope or is he trying to dampen down optimism about what will emerge uh, you know from from the rich countries for more developing countries yes that was uh, the tone he was giving when speaking to reporters on the way out to new york i think his aim is to rally the developed world to raise this you know, 100 billion dollars annually to give to the developing world to help them reduce their carbon emissions he was saying that he's not super optimistic that will be achieved um, but that coming into cop 26 maybe then he gave a six out of ten chance that that will get there i think you know boris johnson is constantly stressing how you know important it is the world comes together on climate change the uk is a leader in this area and johnson likes to stress that point but he's saying there are other countries in the g20 that have to do more and he's going to be trying to kind of rally that cause uh, this week in New York. 
Um, also, this is a very important meeting between Johnson and Biden. Um, you know, Biden uh, has has sometimes been quite critical, certainly when it comes, for example, to Northern Ireland and much more sceptical when it comes to Brexit. On the other hand, we just had this win, I suppose, for the UK in terms of the nuclear submarine deal that has come, um, you know, Britain's way. So how is that very crucial meeting um, between Johnson and Biden expected to go? Yeah, it has always been a very special relationship, as they call it, between the UK and the US. But it's been hard to read in the Johnson-Biden era. I think it was an open secret that Johnson would have preferred it if President Trump had won the last US presidential election. I think that you're right. Northern Ireland is still bubbling away as a contentious Brexit issue. And the prospect of a US trade deal seems to have receded quite significantly since Biden became president. We had the chaotic withdrawal in Afghanistan, again, where the UK and the US were you know, having like little disputes and spats. So, yes... It's going to be fascinating to see what comes out of it. I think that uh, Johnson really does want to get this relationship onto the right track, and the, the nuclear submarine deal with Australia seems to suggest that you know things are still going fairly well behind the scenes. But uh, yeah, d- definitely one to watch. Uh, what about um, Johnson's push to open up travel for Brits going to the US? Do you think he'll have any success? Uh, yeah, I mean that's another issue where we'd love to see progress. I think that the UK has clearly made its own travel regime uh, less strict in, in recent days, but we're yet to see a clear willingness from the US to kind of be reciprocal and and and, and, and allow UK travellers in. You know, earlier in the year, we saw the problems with the Delta variant. Now that became quite widespread in the UK, and that meant that the US was reluctant to, to open up travel. So again, we'll have to see what happens. Um, how do we assess um, the Johnson government going into autumn? There's been a lot around just how difficult an autumn and winter this could be. A lot of the restrictions around COVID have been lifted, but it is still there. Um, and polling has been quite interesting for, for the Conservative government. Yes, and we have all these external factors coming to a head, which could really make life difficult. You know, we have the energy price crisis, which Rachel was just talking about. We have threats to the food supply, which are a knock-on from that shortages of carbon dioxide, which are important in meat production, for example. You have the issue around shortage of HGV drivers. You have COVID, like you talked about. It's an overused phrase, but the kind of winter of discontent is not far off, I don't think. And all that pressure on the health service as well. It's going to be a major test of this government's basic competence and and we'll have to see whether Johnson can stand up to that and as you say poll numbers you know waning in in the last couple of weeks because of that health and social care levy which again didn't go down too well in the red wall seat so you know lots and lots of factors brewing here which which make life difficult for, for Boris Johnson. Yeah indeed and not least of course Johnson's meeting with Jeff Bezos is going to tell the Amazon boss that he's got to pay uh, or the company has got to pay its fair share of taxes I mean this is a call we've heard before Joe surely. Yes, and very populist you know, message to, to, to get across to the CEO of Amazon. Whether that will actually translate into action, which means they do pay more tax, we'll have to wait and see. And it's a constant bugbear of, of Western governments you know, uh, across the world. Um, so, yes, uh, a, a populist message that Boris is taking to York with him The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. 
join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's talk about what else is making news in the world of politics, though. France is still fuming over the UK and the US's defence pact with Australia, which meant that the country lost out on a multi-billion dollar submarine contract. The country's defence minister cancelled talks with her British counterpart. President Emmanuel Macron also recalled ambassadors to Washington and Canberra. Boris Johnson did try to smooth things over, emphasising how important the Franco-British relationship is. Well, also on the agenda for Boris Johnson, who, of course, uh, is in New York today, a meeting with Jeff Bezos. The PM says that he will tell the Amazon founder that the company must pay its fair share of taxes. He will also tell the Amazon chairman to address working standards for employees here in the UK. Uh, But also in New York, the new foreign secretary says that she'll push for UK nationals detained in Iran to be released. Liz Truss is meeting her Iranian counterpart today. She's expected to speak about the case of Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe, who's been held in Iran since 2016. Her husband, Richard Ratcliffe, said that he had good talks with Truss ahead of that meeting, but it's too early to tell what will happen. So some of uh, the other stories in the world of politics today. Well, on Friday, the government said that it will scrap the traffic light system for international travel to England with a single red list for no-go countries. And PCR tests will no longer be required for fully vaccinated travellers. They'll be replaced with a cheaper rapid lateral flow test instead. Well, joining me now is Dr Natalie Kenny, who is founder and CEO of Biograd, one of the country's largest COVID testing laboratories. Welcome to the programme. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr Kenny. Um, Firstly, I'd like to get your view on whether getting rid of PCR tests is a good move or whether we're jumping the gun here. I I think we've moved far too quickly um, with this. Um, For me personally, we need to remember that PCR tests are the gold standard way of detecting COVID um, and they are performed by registered and fully trained biomedical scientists. Um, not only do our PCR tests tell us whether a patient is positive or negative, we also perform full genome sequencing on all of the positive strains um, that we get in. Um, and this allows us to have an informed approach to vaccine development in the future. Um, my two main concerns really for um, for, for the move into lab flow testing is firstly the, the dysregulation. I know that there's been an awful lot in the news about the dysregulation of the PCR um, industry, and that is something that we're definitely working on at the moment. But um, lateral flow is still heavily unregulated. I know that we keep using the phrase, the cheaper lateral flow test. But actually, if you go directly to the UCAS approved laboratory, lateral flow tests are no cheaper than PCR tests. This is something that's been um, that's been set out through the media, which is, is not entirely true. There's definitely okay. been exploitation of the industry. So, I mean, our prices are 1999 to £50. Um, and third parties are buying uh, PCR tests and reselling them to the public. And, and that is where the issue is. With the yes. lateral flow tests, they're still around 10 to £30. So actually, they're no cheaper, um, but they're nowhere near as accurate. And also, my concern is the ability to be able to commit fraud with a lateral flow device. If they're not performed by a healthcare professional in the clinic, 
we already know that our patients are buying two or three lateral flow tests. So instead of performing one PCR test and sending it to the lab, we know that people are taking two or three tests abroad. Um, and the only thing that we can conclude from that is that patients have the, the intention that if their test comes back as positive, that they may take another test, maybe not perform it properly or have it performed on somebody else and then travel back into the country knowing full well that they have COVID. This is a, a real concern of ours. So it's a poor regulation of, and the establishment of the lateral flow process. The other concern yes. for me is that we will not be prepared for new variants as they arrive. So at the moment, we've worked incredibly hard over the last 18 months and we've, we've got an informed ap approach to vaccines. And we're monitoring new variants as they arrive, and that will inform vaccine um, uh, programs in the future. Now, if we are not monitoring these variants as they arrive, then in 18 months' time, we will be back at the beginning where we were, where we were 18 months ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's unpack a, some of that then. Just in terms of the pricing of COVID tests first, let's let's start there. Um, I mean, there was this rapid internal review of pricing and service standards because there were so many complaints around the cost of COVID testing over the summer. Should the tests be given then at cost price, as for example, some Conservative MPs have called for? Absolutely. I mean, when we when Biograd started, we did all of our tests off price. Um, and that's why we've been able to get cheaper and cheaper because the more that we've been buying in bulk has allowed us to, to, to drop our price. I mean, I think what we need to understand is that there's around 380 um, approved providers on the government list. But actually, there's only six laboratories that are fully UCAS accredited to do COVID testing. Now, you can open a company, get yourself approved on the government list and sell those tests for a number of months before you're actually investigated at which point there are companies that are either closing down or changing their name and starting mm. again. And there are, there are hundreds of these companies on that list. Um, there are also hundreds of companies that are buying COVID tests from the laboratories and reselling them with a huge overhead on top. Now, if these six main laboratories, which are the laboratories that are already doing all of the tests in the UK, if these laboratories were able to work more directly with the government, then actually we could set a standard price that we think would be around £35. And we have set up this, this organisation already. Um, and what we're hoping to do is to, to work more closely with the government to regulate the industry because we've worked extremely hard. We are medics, we are scientists, mm. we are normally held to really high regard. And I think yeah. the frustration for us as an industry is that we have companies that are established during COVID simply to profiteer from selling COVID tests. And yeah. as frustrating as this is for the general public, it's heartbreaking for the doctors and nurses and scientists that have worked so hard through the pandemic to see that other people are profiteering off our hard work. Okay. Um, so then, do you think it's simply too soon to relax rules around travel? Because, for example, Boris Johnson going to the US, it, you know, one of the issues is that he's going to try to press President Biden to open up travel um, for the UK to the US. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, you've talked about the concerns around new variants, the, the uptake of the vaccine in the US is far from universal. What are the dangers there? Yeah. I mean, I think that this is a multifold approach. I think people are exhausted and people are desperate for holiday. So I'm in no means trying to, to stop travel. Um, but I think we need to really consider that we are still in the midst of a pandemic. 18 months ago, the government were out in the street and we were clapping our healthcare workers and our teachers and our frontline service workers. Um, we were the ones that put ourselves at risk. We, we were the ones who have put our families at risk to work through this pandemic and the pandemic hasn't gone away. 
but it seems that maybe people are um, maybe tired of it. You know, I know we've got a high vaccine rate, but our children aren't vaccinated. We still have vulnerable people out in our communities that are still shielding. So I think it's 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 far mm. too soon to open up travel without the precautions. Now, I myself have been on holiday this summer, but I had a COVID test before I left. Um, I had a COVID test before I came back to the UK, and then I had another one two days later. Um, so I'm all I'm all for opening up travel and trying to get back to normal. But what we don't want to do is to, to risk our national health service, risk our teachers, risk our frontline workers, and the people that we have in our communities are vulnerable by allowing new variants into the UK without testing. So in terms of just give me a flavour and a picture of what you did at Biograd in terms of trying to ramp up. You know, can you cast your mind back and think, how did you ramp up to kind of meet the demand? And what are you expecting in terms of that demand for winter? I mean, if there's no obligation to take um, PCR tests, you know, for travel um, and the restrictions are being loosened, I mean, are you sort of thinking about um, ramping down, letting go of some of that capacity or not? Well, it's something that we're actively in discussions at the moment. Now, we haven't seen a reduction yet. We thought we might have seen a reduction um, after the announcement, but actually we've seen a small increase. Um, We also do the lateral flow clinics, and we also work on vaccine efficacy studies. So um, for ourselves, it's allowing us to put some more um, scientists into the development of vaccine efficacy. So what I'd like to see in the next 12 months is that if you choose to go to holiday, on holiday, for example, Spain, which is quite a popular destination, if you choose to go to Spain, you will have your COVID vaccination certificate. Um, and then we would like to see which variants you're actually immune to because as the virus will mutate, um, there will be variants that you will no longer be immune to. And then that will allow an informed travel policy to say, OK, there's a new variant in Spain. Um, mm. This patient going in doesn't have immunity to that variant. Therefore, we can give them a booster. And that's where I would like to see um, travel going. And that's that's, um, an area that we're focusing an awful lot of attention on at the moment. Okay, What do you make of Gordon Brown's view that the UK should be doing much more about um, giving booster jabs? What would be booster jabs here, giving those to countries in Africa, saying that actually that's what that's sort of the next phase of the pandemic, really, that, that those jabs have to be shared far more urgently? I agree. Yeah, I really agree. I mean, this is it's a pandemic. It's not a localised problem. Um, we will only find an effective solution if we work on a global solution. Um, no country is an island um, where this is concerned. If we are going to allow free movement between countries, and I think we should be looking at global vaccination and booster policies, absolutely. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.